Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. So I think it's this huge thing. Like when you don't like something in a class, in anything, in a painting, that's a great thing because now you know what you do like. Hello and welcome to season three of the Learn to Paint podcast, the show where we talk with your favorite artists and teachers about how to get better at painting. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. Today, I'm talking with a voice you just heard, mixed media artist Lynn Whipple. In our conversation, you'll discover ways to get looser in your painting, the importance of being playful, and why it's so important to make work you don't like. This interview episode 23 comes with bonus material. Whipple gives you an additional exercise to try at home, plus we get into composition and a whole lot more. How'd you get it? Become a Patreon supporter at the high gloss tier. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash support to learn more. All right, here we go. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to the podcast. How did you get started in art? Well, hi, Kelly. It's so nice to be here. I had one of those families that everyone made art. So I just thought that's what you did. I would come home from school and my mom had, you know, oil paintings in the living room and she did our school plays and my granddad painted, my grandmother played piano. So I just thought that was kind of what you did. Well, then how did you find mixed media specifically? I think even as a really small kid, I was always outside gathering stuff. My mom gave me this huge bulletin board and I was constant all night long. I would just sort of stare at it in my bed and I would rearrange it and stand up and collect and move. So I think I was composing, making little installations, probably my entire childhood. Was there a transition or did you feel any shift when you decided like, this is what I'm going to do? And I don't even necessarily mean professionally, but this is something that I want to be good at, that this is something that I want to have priority in my life. Do you remember when that shift started to happen? I do, actually. It's nice to think about that, too, because when I was, gosh, how old? I don't even know. I was an adult, a young adult, and I got into a film program at a local sort of a junior college here, and they were going to train people in Orlando to do the film business because it would be cheaper here. So it was a very tough thing to get into, and I got into it, and I became a set decorator and a prop person and a scenic painter. And this little group of us that were the art department, that's where I actually met my husband. And he was an artist, had been his whole life. And he would always refer to me as an artist. And I hadn't really had that before. I was like, oh, I wish, you know, I was professional artist. And so I think that click went on. And then I learned so much from him. And I just started making art and doing art festivals and just it just grew from that. Yeah, I find that really interesting that there's so many people that a third party would be like, oh, yeah, you're an artist. And then the person themselves is like, oh, no. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Don't that- you see that? Yeah. It's like a- people always say, oh, I can't call myself an artist. I see that a lot when I teach. And I'm like, absolutely, you're an artist. 100% sign that thing. You know, let's accept that. That's positive, right? But did that feel like a big shift for you to say, like, I'm an artist? 
I think it did. I think it did. And I ended up working for many years in the film business from that class. And the minute a show was done, I worked at Nickelodeon a lot. I would just make my own work. And so that was sort of such a priority for me that I finally said no to working for them and just did my own artwork. Because I thought if I worked as hard as I work for those guys, because long, long hours, you know, you're just super busy kind of a job. I said, there's no way you can't be successful because if you just gave your own ideas that much energy, you could do it. So we did. I worked on one film set in my life and it totally changed how I feel. Like those people work hard, TV film. Oh. oh boy. What did you do? What was your position? There was a crew that came up from LA when I was in college and I did locations management. Ooh, yeah, that's tricky. Not... Yeah, you really have to have it together for that, right? Yeah, yeah. that's the end of my short-lived film career and my car. <laughs> Totally understand. So then let's jump into materials a little bit. Well, I guess first off, what do you love about mixed media? Oh, because there's so much freedom in it. You can use anything. You can experiment. You can play. You can draw. You can paint. You can collage. You can found objects. It's just wide open. So whatever your curiosity takes you to, you can bind all those things together and you're not, there's no limit. For someone who's new to art, when someone hears mixed media, what do you mean by that? So generally, people think of mixed media as when you combine more than one media. So if I combine drawing and painting, technically that's considered mixed media. I'm mixing the two. A lot of people, mixed media can go way super wide, you know, sculpture, wood carving, painting, drawing, all in one big installation. So it gives you the freedom if you're a painter, but you want to add collage. Well, now it's mixed media. From a material standpoint, what do you paint on? Oh my gosh. I love paper right now. I'm loving working on paper because it's smaller at the moment. I used to paint on big wooden boxes that were part of the sets that we worked on at Nickelodeon. We would literally <laughs> pull them out of the trash because the carpenters made these very, you know, they're called flats that make the walls for those shows. And we started painting on those. We painted on course canvas canvas when you paint super big it's light so you can spin the canvas and carry it and what haven't I painted on I'm trying to think I pretty much paint on anything I painted on leaves I painted on rocks as part of an installation um, I'm just looking around the house pretty much wood paper canvas those are the main three when you're painting in mixed media what informs what you choose to use if I know, say I have a show coming up and I'm doing a series of 12 by 12s or 24 by 24, I will set myself up and I'll have several of the same size or some sort of a format consistency that I like for my framer and all that sort of thing. But I'm pretty wide open. But what happens is if something accidentally works, so I've put down collage, I've added tissue paper first, then I might start several at once with that. Very often it has to do with what's on the table. You know, if I covered up the collage pieces, they don't show up, you know, if somehow I can uncover them from my big work table. Oh, well, look at that. And then I'll just throw it in there. So I wish I could be more uh, like it was this focused thing. Here's all my paints. Of course, I do that. I do set up my paints. I have a palette. I like my warmings and my cool separate. I mean, I have an organization to it. But other than that, it's pretty wide open. Yeah, you mentioned paints. What paints do you use? 
originally I used house paint because that's what I learned to paint sets with. And the other thing about house paint that I enjoyed as a learner is that it was very abundant, not precious. There's a lot of freedom to it. And I used flat so I could draw on top of it. So I, as I've gone through the years, you know, I realize people are much more interested in archivalness, of course. And so you can use any kind of paint, golden paint, any sort of um, art store paint works well. I also work in oils. So it's been a transition. But when I was learning the freedom of choosing all my colors, you know, like I like that red, but it already exists in this like wide mouth little jar. For me, that was liberating and it wasn't pressure. So I wasn't squishing a little bit out of a tube and oh, that's expensive CAD. You know, I don't want to. That sort of beginning helped me Understand color, play with color, not worry about wasting it. How important is figuring out a system where you're not worried about wasting? How important is that, especially when you're beginning? Gosh, I would say the more freedom you have in the beginning, the better. The more you allow yourself to play, the more experiments you can just just go for it. The, the thing about color, you can spend your entire life and color is constantly, right? It's like the shifts, the little tiny, this color against that color, warm, cool, grays, neutral, brights. I mean, it is a world of joy. So the sooner you get in there and start mucking about and not making it precious, I think the more you'll enjoy it, the more you'll, you know, understand it. I still don't understand color. I, I'm completely delighted by it constantly. These days, what paints are you actually laying out? You're using acrylic? No, it's so funny. Like for the first time ever, I got excited about gouache because, right? Because it's flat and I like flat paint because I draw on it. And there's marvelous, marvelous colors and it's new. So I thought, oh, I want to, you know, so I buy like a million of the, it's just stupid, you know, art supplies. I'm an actual addiction. It's bad. It's so bad, but it's so good because I have it all and I experiment all the time. So I went kind of crazy with the gouache and I just love it because it is flat and I can scrape it onto the paper. I can draw on top of it. I can spatter it. There's something about the color. The flat color is really appealing. So that's that's what I'm using the most. I'm pointing out to my little studio out there, but I have everything. I have oil paints. I have oil bars. I have oil sticks. I have oil pastel. I mean, it's just pretty abundant. <laughs> Some people have been told that limiting is what will help them get to know their materials. Was that true for you or was that not true for you? I definitely understand that and a lot of times we need parameters or we need a premise or we need to simplify and I 100% agree with that is a piece of learning and it's an important piece and I probably did it a million times throughout my life like okay let me just simplify I'm just going to use probably not me black and white but you know something similar so yes 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 but you have to think about your brain and what excites your brain and how you operate. And my brain wants to play. It wants to try. It wants to see. So I would say pretty wide open. I, I try not to restrict myself. I would say limits. There's a million truths to that. So you have to do what helps you. But I want to be excited <laughs> And I just want to have fun out there like this. I don't want it to be a drudgery or a job or why, you know, I don't, 
it doesn't suit me. So I, I set it up to play. If you saw that little studio, you would, it would make you laugh because it's just so many pieces and parts and things and, you know, string. And I love that. And that's a cool thing. And that, because all that stuff feeds my mark making and my ability. And if I have a thick oil stick next to a thin pencil line, you know, that's fascinating. So I need all that stuff. So what I hear you saying is that if you're frustrated and you think about limiting your palette and that excites you, do it. But if you're frustrated and you think about limiting your palette and you just think like, ugh, then don't do it because whatever gets you painting more. For me, I think that's it. The more you do something that you love, so if you set yourself up that you love this process or you love how the music sounds or whatever you do to set yourself up, that's what you should do. I think you have to make it fun for yourself or enjoyable or at least satisfying for yourself. So what does that feel like to you? You know, that's what you have to answer. And do you like to dance? Do you like to move? Do you want your whole body in the painting? Well, you got to go big and you got to have lots of paint. You got to be messy. Or are you super happy with just you and your tiny little beautiful dip pen? And you want to do that, like do the thing that makes you light up. Could you walk us through your process? Say I'm doing a big flower painting. And this is something that I've broken down into steps because I do teach this crazy method. So you've got a big canvas and I like to work on two or three at once so things can be drying. And I I am super excited about orange. So I usually lay down a ground layer just to get the white off the canvas. So I'll usually do one in like an orange, really loose, drippy. I don't cover everything. I want it to breathe. I want it to spatter. You know, I just want it to be this big messy thing because it's just an underpainting, but it does loosen you up. And then I'll do another one with the grays and the blues. So I have warm and cool starter canvases. And then when that's all dry, the next thing I usually do is just to juicy it up. If I have an orange canvas, I'll take some of that blue gray and spatter it on that. So right away, I've got a little bit of zing from the warm and the cool on the canvas. Then I start to draw and I do a silly thing, but it also helps me look because a lot of times we want to rush people seem like drawing is difficult so let's just make it fun so i'll do drawings in uh, charcoal and then i wipe them out so i'll draw the flowers and then i'll look at it and then the people freak out in class i'm like okay now you wipe the whole thing out they're like what yep and then we spin the canvas and we do it again and sort of what happens is you're spending way more time drawing and you're getting to know your flowers so you're getting quicker your gestures are loosening up you're like okay i got to do this three times do it again And so all of that just gets your drawing going. And then I sort of divide the canvas up into shapes by big crisscross lines. And I go in and randomly with the opposite, warm or cool, I gray it down and I fill in those shapes. So you have almost an abstract thing because you've got three weird organic shape drawings underneath. You've got crisscross lines, so that gives you a straight. You fill that in with the opposite color. So if it's a orange canvas, you're using gray down blue colors. And then you end up with this crazy underpainting that you could never come up with in a thousand years. The whole time you're playing with color, you're looking at, you know, the flowers, you're drawing and you've got freedom. So it just sets you up for the real flower painting on top, which is when you put in the brights and you start to really look and pay attention. Why are those first steps important? 
So what I found was when you skip those steps and we all do it because it's, you know, whatever, you're like, oh, I don't need that. The painting's never as interesting. You get an interesting table plane because of it. It's like you're forcing happy accidents to happen in a weird way because you're setting yourself up. So it shows up by leaving room for that underpainting. Sometimes there'll be a flower in that underpainting that is so marvelous that you just use it. You go with it. Because then once it becomes a painting, I'm looking at the real flowers. I have a light source. I'm putting in lights and darks. I'm really paying attention. I'm mixing colors that are more true. I'm a little more quiet and, you know, really paying attention. And then, uh, but all that underpainting stuff is still there. So it fills in beautifully these strange colors of a leaf for this bizarre, you know, I use flower pots a lot, but the pot will be so interesting. You would never in a thousand years come up with that. So it helps. And then of course we cover that up. (laughs) So (laughs) we're constantly creating chaos, you know, and then we're sort of organizing it and organizing it. But all that energy, all that juice is still there. So how then do you move from that loose underpainting start headed toward the flowers that you're planning to paint with the plan you've made? I think my whole silly process is how can I be in the moment? How can I just have fun and play and just react? So once I know that I have this loose drawing, then I just start putting in that color. I look for all the lights, but there's always a point and it's not in the very beginning. And I think it probably could be, but when I stop and I mix some really interesting darks, I don't just use black. I want it to have color and be rich and interesting. And then I purposely stop and put in the darks. I just feel like they have, I have to take time to squint down and just where are those darks? And they don't add up. I mean, it might just be a weird squish there and a strange line there and a gush over there and a little underneath a petal shape. I mean, it's very, very abstract, but there's a true structure that happens because I'm really looking at it. So I don't know. It's a, it's a game. <laughs> I just go back and forth, back and forth. And then I want to see, okay, where are my lightest lights? You know, and then I want to do it that way. So I just play back and forth. How important do you think it is to have a repeatable process? I think it's pretty important. I think it, sometimes there's that inertia, you know, where you can't get started. And if you sort of know, okay, all I have to go in and is just tone a couple canvases, put down some orange or put down some blue. We used to call it re-entry. Like when we would go off to a show, have a great travel, blah, 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 and come home, man, getting back in there was hard to the studio. When we all have that in different ways. So we call it re-entry. Oh, everything's fighting me. And then all of a sudden, if I know this is what I do, lay out six canvases, just slop down my first layer. I think that helps. I also think in a way, a motif, like I just happened on flowers because I had a big pot on my table in the studio. It wasn't anything I was planning on doing. And then it was so delightful and so just enjoyable that I kept going with it. And then I had a whole body of work and then I was able, you know, so there's something about exploring a certain thing for a while that's pretty satisfying, I think. Where does your thinking and planning happen in your process? 
especially when you're going big, I think it's really important to work it out in your sketchbook and do thumbnails. So you can do it a couple ways. If you think you're going to have a rectangle, draw a bunch of rectangles in your sketchbook and just start noodling in. Where would that look best? How do I get that to go off the edge on this side? How do I balance it? Like you're playing with design and composition and you can do so much just with your Sharpie and just often the thing will grow outside of my little square on my sketchbook so I can make the square bigger and then change my idea. So I do have the time to sort of organize my thoughts on paper. And the other thing that I found that is super helpful, and I didn't even realize it because I started with collage a lot of times too, is with collage, before you glue it down, you can so easily move things around. You know, if you want to see what it looks like different if you move something a quarter of an inch it makes a difference in your design so it's very free way to sort of plot things out or plan things out how does that thinking then the sketchbook thinking translate onto the canvas because i'm it sounds like it doesn't those first couple layers are still pure freedom it sounds like I do have all that freedom in the beginning, but I know at some point I'm going to choose either vertical or horizontal or if it's a square. So then I drag my sketchbook out, put it right next to my, sometimes I just tape it right up where I'm painting. And I'm shocked how often the little sketch, the thumbnail will look, the painting will turn out like that. In other words, the big shapes have that, the same big leaf coming off the edge. So I've created a different shape in the, in the negative shape. So plus any time you can spend looking at your subject and translating it down into your marks, your shapes is always valuable. So I try not to skip it. I do. Also, if you're doing a commission for someone, I like to give them sketches so they know what to expect. And I like them to choose, you know, I'm so excited by this one. So it gives me a little bit of a breadcrumb trail I can follow. So in those thumbnails, is that primarily thinking through format and composition or is it also a value and color conversation as well? It's both. And I think it's very fun and loose and enjoyable to, what if I put the pot here? What if the flowers are here? What if this is a giant thing? What if it's little? What if it's just an orchid? You know, so you play with that and then you're going to get excited by one of those. And then that will lead you down. Okay, let, let me set it up this way. And maybe I need to have the light source here on the top versus underneath or the side. So there's all these things you could play with. And I'm always just looking for what gets me excited and makes me like, oh, oh, I got to go. I got to paint that. That's, oh my God, look at that pink. I got it. So you want to follow, or I like to follow all these little steps to set you up and loosen you up. But then where the energy is, where you're excited, bam, just go in and get to work. What I love about what I hear you saying is that I feel like so many of us think of like, oh, value studies, thumbnails. I just want to get in. But what I hear you saying is that that's a time where you get to be curious and explore and you really see those as a joyful part of the process. Oh my gosh. Almost always if you do thumbnails and I do them fast and I do put in the darks, you did ask about value and I just use a Sharpie and I really squint my eyes and I throw in where those darks are and you'll get this interesting shape and that is very helpful in your design. Like all the darks sort of connect in a way when you're drawing if you go quickly and you're just like, okay, it's all dark under there, it's there, boom, boom, lines, shit. You would be surprised how, when you look at all these thumbnails, for me, it's almost never the first one. 
it's always maybe the last one if I do 10 or so that's the most interesting because then I've edited, then I've changed the shape, then I've cropped it in. So if you just started with the first, I just don't think it would be as interesting or as fun, the process, because you want to surprise yourself, right? You mentioned something about value. Is there something that you're sort of looking for from a value standpoint that you know will make a strong painting? Always. And I think the simple way that I think of it is I somehow seem to always choose places in the painting where I want my lightest light to be next to my darkest dark. So there's your values are, you know, starkly different. It will pull your eye. It will help you see that form. It, it just works. So there's that. And also I think of the darks a lot of time almost as the structure of a painting. Like there's always a moment where I just stop and I squint down and I really just lay in with paint where the darks are. So that can hold the whole painting together. Or if I did it with collage, I would lay in where the darks are in the collage. So I have this structure and then I can go on top of it, cover it up, whatever, but it, it exists. It holds things together and then be sure and pop those lightest lights. Do you have a specific focal point or focal area? Yes and no. Like I always do. I do. I would say yes. There's usually a couple flowers that are just the ones that just I cannot resist. And it's a lot of times for me, it's a Gerber daisy because they have this cut-ins or a sunflower, just the way the shape of the petals come that kind of thing that I try and put everything at a different angle. I don't want everybody facing straight out like we do when we first start. We, boop, boop, boop. you know, it's like, no, that thing is turning. It's a cone shape and it's at this angle and it's looking up, it's looking down. So I'm, I'm aware of that, but there's usually one or two flowers that are sort of the hero that stand out the most. What's the biggest challenge you see for your students when it comes to painting big? I think it goes back to that idea that let's put out a lot of paint. This is about being free. Let's not, you know, noodle in there and tighten our shoulders and uh, uh, I just don't want that. I don't want you to have to worry. I want you to be in the moment. Uh, I want it to be very abundant. I use a lot of paper plates when I teach and when I paint because, you know, I hate to say you can throw them away, but you can or you can save them and paint over them. But you want to be loose. We stand up. We've got music playing. Sometimes we'll break into dance. You know, there'll be just silliness. So it takes all that seriousness out of it, though I'm teaching some serious principles and I understand a lot of things just from doing it for so long and being married to a painter and being a part of a big warehouse of painters. You know, I've learned a lot, take workshops. I'm always learning. So I would not say my way is by any means the right way, but I do like for people to feel free to make mistakes. And then like these, I make them drip. Some people cannot manage a drip. They're like, oh, they just, it makes their skin crawl. And I'm like, more, more drips, you know, and then we'll cover them up because the final steps, you know, you actually cut in the background and you cut in the outside shapes of the entire composition. And then everything really starts to gel. But if I hate to say, but if I let them know that in the beginning, they'll cut to the tight where I just keep them, well, because I constantly say, this is going to change. Don't fall in love with it. We're going to spin the canvas. It's not going to go. Duh. Oh, that's nice. Well, well, let's change it. And, you know, and then they're like, oh, I guess I leave them off balance enough that they're willing to be in the moment. And that helps them paint big. Like how important is keeping the preciousness out of the process? Huge to me. And, and because 
so many times we can get precious. We all can tighten that up and do the little noodly perfect light and it's wonderful. And we do that too, but we do it at the very end. Then you can bring out your small brushes. Then you do your details. Then you do your lovely little line and your little highlight on that stem or, you know, then there's a time for all of that loveliness, but let's wait. Let's keep it super loose until the very end. What do you do then if you fall in love with like <laughs> with a layer? <laughs> with a layer. You keep it. You you sign it, you frame it, you hang it. You know, it happens all the time and that's a wonderful thing because so many Layers are gorgeous. Uh, I always tell people, take pictures of all the layers because you're going to fall in love. And sometimes they don't fall in love with it because we're going to change it. But if you really love it, hang it in your studio. Let it inspire you. Let it remind you of whatever that particular light that went off in your head. You know, what spark happened that makes you love that? Right. You may have just found your style. Exactly. Exactly. It's so true. It's amazing how important it is to listen to Mm -hmm. yourself when working. It's probably the most important thing, but you also want to make sure you drowned out the critic. That doesn't really have a place in the fullest creative expression, the fullest experience that you can have being a human being that's making something. That's a glorious part of life. So the critic doesn't really help us there. I can sort of get a sense that in your workshops, there's no room for the critic because there's music and you're moving. And then now this gets covered and that gets covered, that that seems like that that was a conscious choice. Definitely. Yeah. And there's abundance. There's so much paint. There's so many gorgeous flowers to choose from. There's, we like it to be like this candy store of fun and joy. And let's just try, let's experiment. Cause I know they can paint just spot on gorgeous flowers. And we know that, and that'll come in and that'll show and everyone does it differently. But if they just give this a whirl, something really fabulous happens. Even if you take away one thing, you know, from a workshop, it's like, it could be the thing. Then after you build up the flowers in the way that you want and you, and you like the darks and you like the lights and you've been looking at real flowers, trying to replicate, getting as close to local color as you can. Do you do the cut-in and then add the top pieces of mark making? Or how do, how do those final steps look? So once you have this gorgeous, loose, sort of drippy, but the forms are working because you've got your lights and your darks in the shade of, that you want, it's almost magical when you choose a background color and then you can sort of cut in. So then by that, I mean, you're going around the big shape of the vase, you're leaving a shape that's your table plane, and then you're just sort of coming in off the edges with a sort of a solid color. So sometimes it could be a rich dark blue, it could be red, it could be, I like cream a lot just because I tend to go that way, but it doesn't matter. Then the whole thing, the whole composition shows up. Now you've got a painting, you know, you've got your rectangle, say, but then you've got one giant shape when you stand back and squint your eyes. It's an interesting shape. So, you know, you don't want it just a ball and a thing, you know, you want it to have these lovely edges and these reach out off the edge and you want it to be organic. You know, that's just so fun. And people almost always are like shocked that it all comes together when you simplify the background. And you might do that one or two passes, you know, you might go back into that. We draw on top 
And the most wonderful thing about drawing on top, and I like soft pastel, you can use oil pastel, you can use whatever makes you happy. You could use a brush, small brush. But the drawing is fun because it's fluid, it's fast, it's mark making, it's energy. So you've got a leaf shape and you draw outside that shape. You overlap a line that doesn't match up with that shape and it's the opposite color perhaps. Or you start to describe the little spots inside of the flower. You just start to put in your details. It's your hand, it's your mark. And then I love to add pencil. So we've done everything. We've got loose, gooey, we've got drippy, we've got thick, we've got light, we've got dark, and then we've got a gorgeous or fast line. And then this tiny little pencil line that may go again outside the shape, you know, or just sort of references something. So I guess what I want is people to stop and go, that's not just a flat. Oh my God, what's going on? I got to get, oh, there's a pen. You know, it's like a, a poem that's loud, but yet super soft at the same time. Well, and from a mark-making standpoint, you're also talking about contrast, that you're bringing in different types of line as opposed to just one type of line. Absolutely. Variety, variety, variety. That's the thing. And I just think that's exciting for our eyes, you know, just to see these different sparks. I mean, we still it still reads as a big, loose flower arrangement, but man, can you have fun within that. What does working from a reference and in this case, a live in-person reference versus working purely from imagination give you? You get a much more successful painting because you're not just inventing shapes. And a lot of times after a while, we'll fall back into our, our shapes that we use over and over. Like a cup, ba, ba, ba. here's a cup shape, it's a flower. Well, I know when I'm fooling myself, you know when when you're just sort of not in the moment, you're kind of faking it in a little bit. So if you have a real flower, you would be astounded by what's really going on with the real flower. When you start to look, you see all these crazy, wonderful little. So if you have something real to anchor it in, it will be more believable. It's almost like you have room to experiment with it if it's anchored in some reality. Does that help with loose painting too? That sense of being anchored in reality? I think it does. Yeah. Cause then you can wing it, you know, then you, there's something where your brain knows if it's invented, which is fine too, abstract and all that's wonderful, wonderful. But the truth of real looking and real translating onto a page is it comes through. You've been doing a ton of work in abstraction lately. How did that start? I don't know. I think it was, I've always known that someday I want to do these big loose abstracts because I kind of do that with the flowers, but I thought, oh, wouldn't it be, I think I'm always looking for a challenge. Maybe that's, I hear myself say, it's a challenge. It's just such a challenge. Like how do I take just line shapes marks and arrange them in a way that's interesting. I don't have, you know, the storytelling of the flower or the real thing or the landscape or the whatever, the face. It's kind of like, you know, being out on the skinny branches and, whoa, I don't know what to do and I'm going to fall. It's just so, you feel so alive because the rules are 
different and can I still use my lightest light with my darkest dark? Can I still use my mark making? Can I still use my love of color together and just let it be that like an energy feeling painting? So I have had the best time with them. And honestly, they're not good. I will just be honest with you. They're just like these little studies, but I'm enjoying them and I they're teaching me things and what do I like, what don't I like. So there's a lot of mark making, a lot of line, a lot of drawing, just gesture. They're just super fun. Have you set up any rules for yourself for them? Not really. I usually have about six or eight going on at once. I have a studio downtown that's a big studio that I can paint big, but I like to work right here behind my house. I have a little tiny studio that was a boathouse and I like to work outside. So my rules are, it just, I don't really have any rules other than I have, I know here's what I've done. I've set up myself a weird accountability thing that I try and post just once a day on Instagram something because it keeps me moving and it keeps me trying and some of them stink and some of them, it doesn't matter. You know, I've given myself the freedom. Like I'm not judging it. It's just an exploration. But yeah, my rule is just to get out there and move my hands every single day. What has been surprising about these abstracts for you and, and just trying something new? Well, that they're so much fun that a lot of them don't work. <laughs> that the, my favorite thing lately is I've taken the ones that really stink and I'm cutting them up and then putting them in the next ones. And I have all like the layering of the painting. It's like I have all that energy already that I can plop into this little funny abstract drawing thing. And so I'm like super excited about that right now. I've gotten a commission to do several bigger ones. So I've got some bigger paper and now I'm fixing to like, I've already done some bigger ones. So how do you scale up? That's always a big question in life, right? And I always say bigger brushes, bigger motions, bigger, you know, spatters, bigger, just more energy, I think. Well, one of the things I liked that you said was that you were having to sort of figure out your opinion, discover what you like and what don't you like about your own work that's a huge learning thing don't you think I always encourage people and myself to notice that because if we're open enough to try all these things and be in the moment and experiment and play and just just paint it's not that precious then we're gonna notice what we prefer so do we love the lights do we love the darks I love oranges do I like this mark do I like doing that? Do I enjoy that? So once you have given yourself the opportunity to see what it is that excites you and what your preferences are, then you go forward. You know, then your large painting may be with a dark background. It's all the the red tones and all that. So I think it's this huge thing. Like when you don't like something in a class, in anything, in a painting, that's a great thing because now you know what you do like. So don't be afraid of doing stuff that you don't like because you're going to get some wonderful, you know, realization from that information. Yeah, there's this idea that being an artist and learning to paint means you walk in fully formed with all of your opinions as opposed to, no, that's, that's what learning to paint is, is, is the unfolding yeah. of all of that. 
Exactly. The showing up every day and seeing what did I forget that I liked yesterday? I don't even remember how I did that. <laughs> you know, you're, you're never fully formed. Oh, thank goodness. Or we would just be done, you know, like, okay, I've done, I've done that. No, 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 no. You have to set yourself up to, uh, we always call it the brain surprise. You're like, why is something funny, right? Why, why does the joke make you laugh? Because you didn't see it coming. It combines two things in a way that it's like, what? It's, it tickles your brain. So I, I just think you set yourself up in your art life or writing or whatever it is you do, music, the same way. How can I set myself up to surprise myself and have fun with it? And how do I learn from that? And what, what weird combination accidentally happened that's like my favorite thing today that ever, you know? So that setting yourself up for that brain surprise, that little spark in your head. I mean, when you're in the moment, right? And you're making things and everything's just time stands still. And you're just like running along with the whole thing. You know, this color, that color. You just don't even remember where the time went. That's the best thing. Don't you love that? How much of your time and energy is in the pure experimental part versus the, you sort of know the type of work you're doing, you have steps that you figured out, not that there isn't experimentation in that, but it, it feels like those are sort of two different places or are they for you? I think they're always there. It's always there because I never know how that drift's going to land on that color. I don't know when I spin the canvas, am I going to totally change my mind, my composition, my something completely bizarre shows up and I got to run down that rabbit hole or that tangent. So I do like, you know, I do a lot of shows, you know, and I have deadlines and I'm, I know I need, you know, five big paintings and four. So I do have some constraints that way. But within that constraint, I just let it kind of fly a lot of times. So I don't know what's going to happen because I'm happiest like that. That's just knowing what I like. See, now somebody else might know. Nope, I know that I do this and then that. And that's perfect because their brain, it's like getting to know your brain is a huge part of any process, right? So you're going to know, I could never stand that, that I have to go from light to dark or dark, you know, however it is. That's perfect. That's what you want. You want to set yourself up for your brain to be excited and happy. What are some of the biggest blocks you see with your students around creativity and play? I think they all want to. I think they light up. It's the most joyful thing to see people light up when they allow themselves to get loose, to make a mess, to drip, to draw with their opposite hand. Like they literally glow and they smile and they're like a kid again. So the block is maybe just giving them permission that it's okay. We're all going to, we're all in this together. We're all making a mess together. I have to correct problems all the way through when I'm doing my paintings for demonstration. It's just the truth. You're constantly, yikes, go forward with some energy and then back up and sort of organize the chaos. So I think they want to play though. I think people have inner critic. I think people have stories. A lot of us of a teacher that maybe said something should have been done differently than maybe the student, a young student did. And then they sort of stop. You hear that a lot. Well, they told me I shouldn't have had the sky green and, and then they froze and they stop. And I want them to have that joy of making things. How much do you think of it is some of the problem is just the idea that a serious artist is serious. Yeah, I realize that's a thing, isn't it? <laughs> I know. And 
I've probably never been taken seriously. And that, that's just one of my deals. I, I probably should worry about that. I just don't care. If you're having fun and you're alive and you're making stuff, then that's so much more important. But I will say my husband is a marvelous artist and he was an artist his whole life, even as five years old, you know, won all the prizes. And I think maybe, uh, I have no idea why I was going to say because he's a male or he has the degrees and all this, but he wanted to be taken seriously, of course, and probably is, but he's very playful in his work. So I don't know. A lot of people, that's very important. I get that. I just don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that so much, but I'm, I'm uh, committed and truly all in with art. I just, you know, it is what it is. It looks like what it looks like. I don't have control of it a lot of times. Right. And sort of what I hear you saying though, is that there's also just a difference between being serious and committed. Like com you can be committed and still have a whole heck of a lot of fun, that that's a different thing that how committed we are is not on a scale of how much we hate it. <laughs> like as a practice. Exactly. That's a perfect thing. It's the commitment to, to going in every day, moving and having fun with it and being okay with looking stupid or having things not work or you know who knows what you're going to maybe use that later but that's not for everyone I mean I have friends who are oh my god stellar realists and meticulous painters and you know they're one hair brushes and they're wildly successful so we know loads of artists so it depends on your personality if someone is having trouble with sort of getting into that play mindset, that they're feeling sort of trapped in themselves, are there any specific things that you tell them to do that they should try just at home alone? Yeah, I would definitely set yourself up, get a bunch of pastels to say, turn on some music, set your timer, turn the timer to 15 seconds and just let it out. Just get it out of your system. And then, okay, maybe you go to 30 seconds. Oh, you don't even have to be looking at anything. You just have to, people, I think they're tight because they're literally a little bit closed up. So if they want to just open up, like it's just a mark, you know, it's just paper, just let it, <gasps> let it out. And then things will start to flow. And then you can just sort of, oh, look at that crazy scribble is so great. I could use that in a real thing. It's almost like loosening up the wheels or priming the pump or it's valuable stuff. I have this little trampoline out there, a little, you know, round one. And I, with my talk and we jump on the trampoline and we like let all our, you know, you flail around like an idiot, but it feels good. And then your paintings have a joy in them that people can feel. So if someone came to you and said, I want to get really good at painting, what advice would you give them? Paint a thousand paintings. <laughs> we have this joke. I think it started with my husband's teacher who I learned from too. He's a illustration professor from New York. And he would say, you're going to do a hundred bad paintings. So you might as well get started. Just accept it. You're supposed to stink at the, you know, it's not supposed to be great. And then about painting for something really cool happens and you're like, oh my God, I think I learned something. And if you know they're not supposed to be good, then it's okay. And then you can paint on top of them. You can go back in. It's never wasted. Time painting is never wasted. And that's how you get better at anything. You can find more out about Lynn Whipple, including her classes at lynnwhipple.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today. 
Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 23 to find show notes. If you like the show and want some fun perks, including early access to episodes, behind the scenes, bonus conversations, and even your name read right here, consider supporting it. You can learn how at learntopaintpodcast.com slash support. Happy painting.